Welcome to this episode of the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. On today's edition, titled Addressing Disparities, Food Insecurities, and a Pandemic, experts from the community discuss and address food disparities in our region through a person-centered model and include current needs due to the coronavirus pandemic. This podcast host is Ann Garten. Ann is the director of the SAU Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty. Before we get started, we want to remind everyone to please review current COVID reports from reliable sources such as the CDC, World Health Organization, and your local health and state public health departments. If you live in the Quad City area, you can also visit TogetherQC.com for reliable local resources addressing social determinants. This podcast was recorded through the phone to support the current recommendations. Welcome to the IPCC podcast brought to you by the Institute for Person-Centered Care in collaboration with KALA-FM. I'm Ann Garten, Director of SAU's Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty, and will be your host for today's podcast. Our episode today is entitled, Addressing Disparities, Food Insecurities, and a Pandemic. During our listening tour, supported by a Scott Community Regional Authority grant, we heard loud and clear the need for support resources regarding food insecurity. So for this episode, we hope to share a better understanding of what individuals and populations face related to food insecurity and how experts are addressing these disparities during the coronavirus pandemic. I'd like to welcome our guests at this point, and I'll start with Mike Miller, our president and CEO of Riverbend Food Bank. Mike, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Ann. I'm with Riverbend Food Bank. Uh, of course, folks need to know the difference between a food bank and a food pantry. We're a big warehouse that stocks 300 food pantries across 23 counties in eastern Iowa and western Illinois. Excellent. Thank you. Next, Christina McDonald, you're actually the Community Transformation Consultant at the Scott County Health Department. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Yes, I've been involved with the Food Rescue Partnership since its onset in 2013. The Food Rescue Partnership is a Quad Cities coalition that's promoting food rescue throughout the entire Quad Cities area, and I've helped facilitate community partners in developing a community improvement action plan. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. And our last guest is Ann McGlynn. She's our Executive Director at Tapestry Farms. Anne, would you share a little bit about yourself and why we would ask you and your nonprofit to be part of this discussion? Thanks, Anne. Um, as Anne mentioned, my name is Anne McGlynn, and I lead Tapestry Farms. We work intensively with refugees in our community who face more significant barriers in their resettlement to their new community. Um, in addition to that, we're working on building an urban farm system in our community so that um, people who live in food deserts, which are low access um, areas to quality food, will have higher access. And a lot of our um, refugee clients live in those low access areas. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Mike, I wonder if we start a little bit with you and if you would share with us the difference between food insecurity and hunger insecurity. Well, sure. We often talk in terms of food insecurity, and sometimes people think like that's a politically correct term or something like that. Um, we're really only trying to differentiate between that and the hungry. We'll often talk about hungry people, 
I'm a little bit hungry right now, I missed lunch, uh, but I'm not missing meals. The, the definition of food insecurity is insufficient access to enough food to live a healthy, active lifestyle. It's literally people whose limited access to food inhibits their ability to function, their ability to go to work, their ability to go to school, their ability to be active and live a healthy lifestyle. And those are the folks we're really focused on when we talk about food insecurity. Thank you. And I understand that we're seeing a little bit change in the dynamics and demographics related to that uh, due to the COVID uh, pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. I mean, COVID has kind of hit the food bank with a a triple threat of uh, factors. Of course, there's a a significantly increased demand, uh, demand for uh, the number of people who are food food insecure is up 46% across the country. It's about up by one-third here in eastern Iowa and west Illinois. Uh, at the same time, there's a seriously, you know, interrupted supply chain. Uh, you know, when you see the groceries who are out of products, um, then they don't have any to donate to us, uh, which then means we have to turn to purchase food to meet that increased demand. And all at the same time, we're doing that with significantly inhibited operational methods. We are trying to stay six feet away from everybody, which makes it uh, has all kinds of ramifications for how to operate both a food bank or a food pantry. So I understand that uh, Anne is here talking about the refugee population, but we see um, lots of different populations that are affected by food insecurity, including uh, elderly and elderly shut-ins and disabled uh, people in our community and low income. But it's not just low income, I think, currently. Am I correct? Well, right. I think that's one of the biggest um, opportunities we have, um, if you will, from from the COVID crisis. Um, The people's awareness of food insecurity is so much larger during the COVID-19 crisis because, frankly, it switched from being a lower-class problem to a middle-class problem. And so one of my hopes for this whole situation is now that we have people's awareness, well, this is what more than 100,000 people in our communities deal with every day. And so my hope is that rather than getting through the crisis and having kind of things fall back to normal, the amount of food we're distributing right now is what's needed to put an end to hunger in our community anyhow. And so I hope we're able to keep things right where they are and use kind of the response that, uh, that is energized behind the COVID response to put an end to the everyday disaster of food insecurity. Excellent. Wouldn't that be great? Christina, I wonder if you could um, pull in a little bit about resources and, and what you and your partners work on to do just that. Yeah, so to elaborate a little bit more on what Mike had explained, since Governor Reynolds signed the first proclamation closing dine-in at restaurants on March 17th, the Food Rescue Partnership received a wave of many first-time food donors that had prepared food ready to go for that lunch rush. And so over the course of the first two weeks of COVID-19 really hitting the Quad Cities community, we rescued over 4,400 pounds of food. And so it was great. We had a lot of first-time restaurants donating, and there is that influx of people wanting to volunteer at a personal level, make financial contributions if they can, and then also the professional food establishments and retail food stores um, hoping to donate and rescue the food while they can. 
And while there's the increase in food insecurity during COVID-19, it's important for everybody to remember that this is an ongoing concern as 40% of all of the food produced in the United States is not consumed on a regular basis. And with that, it's important to remember that Food insecurity and food waste is not going to be solved by one organization, but an entire community and nation dedicating to eliminate food waste as it really will impact the health equity throughout. I think that's a really important piece because we sometimes think food insecurity and hunger and we think of people who are skinny and and not uh, looking very healthy and things of that nature, but we do see people who have uh, a risk for higher obesity uh, that are in food insecurity and food deserts and that sort of thing because they're not getting healthy food, right? Um, We have lots of chronic diseases that are a cause of food insecurity or can be caused by food insecurity. So I think that's really great. And I wonder if you would want to touch a little bit on that health equity and and how we look at that uh, piece within this concept. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, you're going to see that the social determinants of health greatly impact the creation of a fair and just society. So one of the things that the Scott County Health Department, along with various other community partners, are calling for focused efforts to address avoidable inequities by creating those fair opportunities for optimal health for all groups of people. And Uh, Historically, you do see the health disparities impacting populations that include um, various age, sex, race, ethnicity, education, income, um, even to different ability levels. And so it's really important that the community comes together to ensure that we're not wasting food to impact those that are food insecure. You know, the problem to one is a solution to both of the issues at hand here. Excellent. I know I've been doing a lot of work uh, for my doctorate actually around nutrition and uh, key populations and have found a great number of resources that are online as well as within our uh, community, but like to share some of those for our experts um, and our future providers regarding SNAP-Ed and Cooking Matters and the Illinois and Iowa Extension offices. They have these fantastic resources to help people better understand how to shop smart to get healthy food and and create healthy um, recipes. And I think that's where I'd like to pull in Anne here a little bit because Tapestry Farms is really working as well at closing the gap around food deserts for one of these key populations. Um, and why does that? Why do you think that is important? And and what's the next steps in that area? Well, there's two things I'd like to touch on. First of all, we see over and over again in working with our families who are involved with Tapestry Farms that once they stop having to worry about access to consistent healthy food, then they can focus on many many other things. And so. We're what we're doing is we're building a model that no matter what the barrier is, we want to make sure that they have access to food. And so if that means that we deliver food to them, which we're doing actually quite a lot this summer, um, especially with kids out of school, that's what we do. We have volunteers uh, deliver, for example, the lunches that the Davenport and Rock Island school districts are providing um, to kids throughout the summer. Um, the other thing is, too, is shopping for um, 
resources like WIC. So we have quite a few families who are on WIC, and WIC really does provide really good, um, healthy food. It is difficult um, sometimes to shop for WIC, especially if your first language is not English and you're not familiar with shopping in a grocery store. So we just work to make that magic happen. So we're able to get the fruits and vegetables and the the milk and cheese and yogurt and beans and peanut butter um, and eggs that are on on the WIC menu for pregnant moms and then young children. Um, And WIC goes up until age five. For some families, that can be, you know, $100 worth of groceries, especially for larger families. So we just work really hard to make sure that families do have consistent access to food, but then also that it's food that they're familiar with, that they like. Um, refugee families come from camps where the only the only food that they have access to is fresh food. And so when they get to the United States and they encounter a lot of packaged food, that's that's hard for them. And so we do work to make sure that they have access to fresh food and that That then goes into my second point, which is we're working to build a system, an urban farm system in our community. We're very small. We're only three years old. Um, But this year we're gardening about uh, 3,400 square feet in the city of Davenport where we're growing vegetables that were chosen by a refugee who grew her own garden in her camp in Uganda And so we're really looking forward to giving that food away. That endeavor was supported this summer also by the um, Scott County uh, Regional Authority, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast. And so we're starting to build the system where people will just have access to fresh food um, that they enjoy. Excellent. I love that. And I have to share it. This uh, past few weeks, my son has been uh, delivering some of that food, and I can't tell you how excited the kids were when he would knock and drop off the book and the food. They would get extremely excited, and it was really nice that uh, Spring Forward and the the pantries could work together in, in getting those kids what they needed to during the pandemic. I want to give us some, a couple minutes here for some final thoughts. I know, Christina, you had some resources that you wanted to share. And then, Mike, we're going to ask you about that donate date. Great. So I think it's important that as everybody's reflecting on the discussion of food insecurity and rescuing food, that there's something that we can do at home, anyone and everyone, and Really just some simple tips to reduce your food waste at home is to inventory your fridge or pantry before you go shopping, making sure that foods are properly stored to keep their freshness. Um, Try eating the older foods first. You can incorporate leftovers into your lunch the next day or recipes for the next night. And then starting a compost pile is another solution that is becoming more popular over time. And then, of course, I love Mike's uh, statement of the donate date, so I'll let him get into that. All right. Thanks, Christina. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here, and and I get hate mail on this topic, so hopefully this won't uh, get us in too much trouble. But there is no such thing as an expiration date for food. 
Um, in fact, there is only one food in the country that's required to have a date on it, and that's infant formula. Um, and that's not because it goes bad. Um, it's because it loses the amount of vitamins that are in it, and baby needs those vitamins. So it's illegal for, it, for, us to, for anyone to sell or for us to give away infant formula past the date. No other food is even required to have a date. What those really are are freshness dates. What does the manufacturer want? They want you to consume that food while it's still at its very best quality so that when you eat it, you love it, and you buy it again. I promise you the next day it does not become poison. Um, in fact, we keep a database here at the food bank for how long food is safe to eat past that date. It may not be at its ultimate freshness, but still safe to eat. And if you don't have enough food, you are happy to have that. And so we encourage folks to not to throw that away, but to get that donated. We'll check the date, make sure it's still safe to use, and we'll get that out to somebody who would be happy to have it. And something Thank I'd like for to sharing add that. on to that is that the Good Samaritan Food Donation Act is a federal law that protects people from civil and criminal liability when it comes to a professional food establishment with a license donating their excess food to a nonprofit hunger relief agency. So as long as you're donating the food in good faith, you're not going to get in trouble. It's not going to go against your food license. It's something that uh, both Scott County and Rock Island County Health Departments are involved with the Food Rescue Partnership and really encouraging, um, depending on the type of food, to kind of follow what my kids suggested with the donate date and get that to the nonprofit hunger relief agencies in the area. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today. This was fantastic information that I think we could all learn from. I appreciate it and have a great day. For listening to this episode of the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by St. Ambrose University's Institute for Person-Centered Care and KALA-FM. We look forward to the next time when we discuss person-centered care and the veteran population. You can learn more about the Institute by connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter.